0: Welcome to episode one, where I catch up with Samantha Northcott, a nutritional therapist with special interests in the non-diet approach and intuitive eating. Samantha was also diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and we discussed her journey and experience with this. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition where the body attacks its own cells in the pancreas that are vital in producing insulin. These cells are known as the beta cells. Insulin is a hormone that's vital in controlling our blood glucose levels and getting glucose from the bloodstream into our muscles, tissues and cells of the body. Without it, people with type 1 diabetes require on injecting regular insulin and measuring their own blood glucose levels, often through finger prick testing, but there are are other measures for this as well. We discuss injecting and by that we are referring to injecting insulin. We also briefly mention insulin pumps And the best way to think of this is like an external pancreas that you can get, and these constantly infuse insulin into the system on a rate for that individual. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. It's great for anyone with a special interest in diabetes, or for those who are living with diabetes. Welcome to the Nourish Your Potential podcast. My name is Kushla Holdaway and I'm a registered and accredited sports dietitian based in beautiful New Zealand. I am so glad you have joined me on this podcast where we will discuss science, sports nutrition, running and physiology, alongside interviews with athletes, experts and other health professionals. Whether you're listening to this podcast during your commute, your training session or whilst cooking up a storm in the kitchen, You can be reassured information is discussed in a thought-provoking, evidence-based and easy-to-understand manner so that you have more tools in your nutrition toolbox to be your best self. Hi Samantha. Oh my god, hey, how are we? Good, how are you?
1: Yeah, good, 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 good. Just relaxing for my Monday, so it's good.
0: Nice way to start the week. Always. Whereabouts are you speaking from in New Zealand today? Uh, Napier, lovely Hawke's Bay. Beautiful. Is that where you've grown up or? Yep, yeah, yep.
1: Yeah, born and bred. I like, moved away for a wee bit,
0: but back for
1: like, the last... God, like six years, which is so nice. Nice to be home.
0: Yeah, I've heard lovely things about the area. I'm definitely keen to visit sometime. (laughs)
1: Yes, lots of sunshine, lots of coffee, lots of wine, so I can't really complain.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me on. This is actually my first episode today, so I'm quite nervous. (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, and in terms of nutrition as well. I'd love to hear.
1: Absolutely. So, my name's Samantha Northcott, I um, am a registered nutritionist here i work within the non-diet intuitive eating space a part of nutrition so i work with women and just help them create a really lovely and improved relationship with food and their bodies and creating that really lovely balance between health and disordered eating and eating behaviors Um, And with all of that and seeing a really big demand in all my clients with eating behaviours and how much the mind can affect what we eat and how we eat, I have now gone back to study psychology, so (laughs) no big deal. So I'm also studying psychology. Um, I also run a journaling business here in Hopps Bay where we take journaling classes every week. So kind of a bit of everything
0: that's amazing and so cool that you're studying psychology as well that's you know it interrelates so much with nutrition and the behaviors around that
1: yeah yeah it totally does I kind of felt like I had this missing piece of the puzzle and I couldn't really put my finger on what it was um and then with lockdown and all of that I kind of I did an intuitive eating course and read more and more about psychology and the behaviors around food and kind of just thought why not go back
0: to study and
1: fill in that missing piece so I'm so excited I'm loving the study so far it's so good.
0: Amazing and with your initial interest in nutrition what sparked that?
1: I've always been a mega foodie my family are like Chefs and cooks and all obsessed with food. Any excuse we can take to talk about food or eat food is always happening. Um, So I've always had a huge interest in food. I just didn't really know how that was going to look in my life. Um, And then I went to uni to study sport. Didn't really enjoy that. Um, And then kind of went down a disordered eating rabbit hole got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and thought I kind of want to help others with their nutrition and food because I was learning a lot about it and doing a lot about it with myself um so I just went and studied nutrition then and loved it and kind of figured that's where I can help people and kind of have my passion of food at the same time
0: that's yeah very cool and what a wonderful balance you have currently with all of those interests can you tell us a little bit more, because you mentioned uh, disordered eating and then your diagnosis of type 1 diabetes, can you talk us through your diagnosis journey and what that was like?
1: Yeah, absolutely, so I was diagnosed about six and a half years ago now, so I've got late onset diabetes, um, so I was 24 when I got diagnosed, and I'd kind of been struggling with my health. For a couple of years, um, my periods were all over the place. I was so, so thirsty. Like I'd go through two to three super pump bottles during the night, Um, and then obviously getting up to pee throughout the night. I was always hungry, constantly craving like carbohydrates and sugar and would just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and and never kind of be full. and I went to the doctors and asked him about it. They didn't know what was going on. Went to another doctor and they said, I'm just low in salt, so I should start adding salt to my water, which was so disgusting. No one wants to drink, like, one and a half litres of salt water all the time. <laughs> and then I finally went to another doctor and she was like, there's no way you've got diabetes, but we're just going to check it and kind of rule it out anyway. So I did the blood test, came up a little bit high, went and did the very disgusting lemonade drink. I'm sure if anyone's had children, they've had to do the glucose and lemonade drink and it's disgusting. Um, Did that and then about two days later, I got a call from the emergency department in Waikato Hospital and they were like, oh do you mind if you come in to the hospital? There's just a few things we want to talk to you about. And I was like, oh, I'm actually just about to go to work. Like, is it okay if I pop in tomorrow? Like, I'm kind of a bit busy right now. And they're like, no, no, we kind of need you to come in. So I rang work, told them, oh, I've just got to go to ED. Like, don't even worry about it. I'll be back in my like half now. Can someone just cover my shift for a wee bit? And I get another call from ED being like, have you left? And I was like, no not yet like I'm just chilling on my bed like what's the rush um and they said can you make sure you pick a bag you're going to be here at least overnight and I was like oh okay maybe this is kind of serious went to ED they tested my bloods again they were crazy high I had ketones through the roof as well so I was in there for the night while they monitored me overnight and got me back to a normal level, started a problem with insulin, then I saw the diabetes nurse the next day, she gave me insulin and a finger pricker and set me on on my way and I've figured it out ever since
0: then. Oh my goodness, that's, what it would be such a shock to the system, especially, you know, being diagnosed later in life like that, because generally I guess most people are diagnosed as a child or in their early teens. When you were asked to go into ED with those symptoms, like, what were you thinking? Did you sort of have any suspicion it might be type 1 or?
1: I had no suspicion at all. Like, the doctor had already told me, like, there's no way it's going to be this. And I was like, okay, cool, it's obviously not that. My best friend is a nurse, and I told her, she's like, no, there's no way. Like, you're not a child, this is not normal. You don't normally get diagnosed at this age. So I was kind of like just so shocked and so relaxed going into the ED. Like I was just hanging out in my bed and like kind of rang my parents like, I've got to go to ED for some reason, but like, don't worry about it. It's going to be nothing. And it was like definitely a huge thing once I got there. Far
0: out. And – with your experience, and I guess you know you said you were kind of in for a night and you saw the diabetes nurse and they gave you your insulin and off you go. What was your experience like in the health system?
1: Um, I didn't enjoy my experience up when I got diagnosed. I was in and out within twenty four hours I just kind of didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really know how to inject. They gave me a pamphlet on carb counting. They didn't even try to like talk to me about how carbs affect your body. So I had no information leaving the hospital about what to do. Um, and because it was a weekend, they only had like weekend staff on. So I couldn't talk to the regular staff that were there. So It was a lot of, like, learning myself and have to try and figure it out all by myself because then my first appointment with the diabetes clinic in Hamilton wasn't for, I think it was three weeks was the first chance I could get in. So I was kind of just blindsided for the first three weeks and trying to learn and teach myself.
0: Wow, yeah. And before that, did you have any of your current nutrition knowledge or was this very much before you went down and studied about nutrition?
1: It was. So the week that I got diagnosed was the week that I got accepted into my nutrition course. So I had I had the basic knowledge like most people do that there is a type 1 and there is a type 2, but I had no clue about like injecting or finger pricking or carb counting or anything like that.
0: Mm, huge adjustment and especially for you sounding like you know you're such a foodie yourself and your family's all into food and all that goodness um I assume that was a very big life adjustment for you and so many learnings
1: so many learnings it was probably like one of the biggest adjustment was just having to focus on every little thing everything that I ate everything that I did was huge (laughs)
0: And what was that like, especially being, at you know, young 20s? It's still a time where I guess a lot of women can, you know, struggle with um, a healthy relationship with food and body image. What was that like for you navigating that?
1: I, before I got diagnosed, I was already quite down the disordered eating rabbit hole. Um, that was when Kayla at Bikini Body Challenge was a, big thing <laughs> um, and I was doing that and um, Dr Libby's books had all come out and everyone was going gluten free and then they are going dairy free and then they are going vegetarian so I was already very far down the rabbit hole <laughs> of all of that and then getting diagnosed with type 1 kind of really heightened all of that so I became very hyper focused on my health, trying to be this perfect diabetic, trying to eat perfectly so that my blood sugars wouldn't adjust eating next to no carbohydrates because in my mind I was like why would I eat carbohydrates when that's the thing that raises my blood sugar levels so I'm just gonna cut the entire food group out and not worry about it so I became very very hyper focused in just trying to have a perfect number every single time I tested going to the doctor and the doctor being like oh you're the perfect diabetic like you're a model diabetic and I just became so focused on being that
0: which is really nice to hear that you're doing well and you know the numbers are good but at the same time when you're struggling with I guess you know that perfectionism behavior it's almost reinforcing that and encouraging it more isn't it
1: yeah absolutely and it was my blood sugar levels were great like I was Borderline non diabetic with my HbA1c, but at the same time, I was not feeling my body properly. I was not going out and enjoying food with my friends anymore. I was not eating any carbohydrates. I was retired and cranky and hangry as well during the whole time. Like my mental health was through the roof. I was binge eating lollies so I'd go to pack and save and go to the pick and mix and I knew exactly how many lollies I could eat on my drive home so no one else knew that I was eating the lollies so while my numbers were great the rest of my life was not doing the best.
0: Yeah gosh that's really really tough and from, from then I guess that was like not a very good time in your life and quite hard in the years since then how have you you know come through that to sort of the other side and where you are now yeah I
1: just one day kind of clicked and got very sick of my sister and my mom being able to go to Church Road the winery around the corner and enjoy a beautiful platter and a couple of wines and I'd sit there and not eat with them or remove myself from being with my friends and checking menus and I just got very sick of it um and that's when I discovered intuitive eating at the time and I started reading a lot about how to like trust my body and trust my hunger cues and trust that my body knows what it wants at that time and kind of remove all of that restriction and while I was so scared because I was like oh my god if I start eating carbs again I'm gonna go absolutely nuts and eat all the carbs and never be able to stop myself I just kind of came to this really like beautiful balanced place where now I can have a donut and then go and I'll eat like a whole bunch of greens and yeah, just kind of did a big 360 and now I can trust my body and know that my diet, while I may have one high blood sugar level, it's not all of a sudden going to mean that my foot's going to get cut off.
0: Yeah, exactly. And with the intuitive eating, because that's something you're very big on and the work you do as well, for those who don't know much about it, can you discuss some of the key principles in that?
1: Yeah, so there are 10 principles of intuitive eating. Um, They mainly work around removing the food restrictions and being able to give yourself unconditional permission to eat any food, any time without rules Um, and learning to trust your hunger cues and your fullness cues. So you really become intuitive with your body and what your body wants and needs at the time, rather than relying on external diets or external people telling you
0: what you need. Mm. And that's something huge in our current culture, isn't it? Is, Is the diet, culture mindset it's and a lot of people I see it's it takes so much work to make them I guess unlearn or you know go away from those behaviors they've known for so many years and it can be quite a scary jump for them to go down I guess the more intuitive eating pathway
1: yeah it's a huge jump and I always like my first consultation with any client is like this is like very different anything that not only you've known, your parents, your grandparents, like our entire society knows. So you're going totally against the grain and you're going to have to unlearn everything that you already know that you see in the media. But it is also so worth it to be able to know that you can trust yourself and you are in charge and you are in control rather than someone else being in control.
0: And so freeing as well. And in terms of the impact on mental health of you know feeling like you can do intuitive eating and feel free with food and relax about it like it's it's pretty awesome yeah
1: it's incredible it's definitely changed my life and how just the brain space I have now to be able to focus on other things rather than that constant food preoccupation and focus all the time (laughs)
0: Definitely and something with diabetes I can imagine is you know the you don't just get a weekend off or a rest day from managing the condition it's every day of your life that you have to think about you know the carbs you're eating how much you need to inject how you're managing your levels and I can imagine the toll on mental health that must take is significant. It's probably the biggest thing like
1: at first when I got diagnosed, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to finger prick and inject. Like, this is going to be such, this was like the hardest thing to get my head around. But now it's the mental, trying to stop that burnout and the mental focus that it requires. The food counting, watching every single number and knowing what it's doing every day, knowing what activities you're going to do that day and how that's going to affect you or if you've had enough sleep the night before or if you've got... Something coming up, or you're highly stressed, or I've got an exam coming up, and how oh, that's going to affect my blood sugar So it's definitely on your mind twenty four seven, like you never get a break. Mm. It,
0: it's pretty hard, and in the team I work with with diabetes as well. I can see you know why psychologists are such a key part of what we do because so many people need support with that, especially you know whether it's sort of working through their new diagnosis or, yeah, like you said, diabetes, burnout, but um, it definitely takes a toll on people, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And with your management, so you've mentioned finger-pricking, which is the way you measure your blood glucose levels, and you've mentioned injections. So you're obviously um, undertaking multiple daily injections on a, I'm guessing, basal bolus regime, yeah
1: yeah I am.
0: Is that what you've been on since you were diagnosed?
1: Yes, I've manually injected since I've been diagnosed. I've had a continuous glucose monitor every now and then. So I've used the Libra, which is the arm scanner um, every now and then when I go on holidays and or if I know I have a really stressful like exams coming up, I use one of them. Um, But unfortunately, they're not funded, so I can't really afford to be using it all the time because they're not the cheapest things. Um, So yes, I inject probably about five to six times a day and probably prick around the same amount of times a day as well.
0: Yeah. Wow. And something I know you've talked about on your Instagram page as well is the funding for insulin pumps. Um, in New Zealand, it's pretty strict criteria, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is really strict. You have to be over a certain HbA1c for X amount of time to show that a pump will be beneficial for you. And then you, while you may get approved and get a pump, um, they can take it away from you at any time. So they do checkups to make sure you're still meeting that criteria. If you have improved and then your HbA1c lowers, they can take the pump away from you because then you may not meet the criteria anymore. So it's very strict and it can be very, very frustrating, especially if you get it taken away once you've noticed that it's helping you. Yeah, well, It's very frustrating.
0: H- has that happened to you?
1: It yeah. hasn't. I am seeing my diabetes nurse this Thursday about starting the process of getting a pump. Um, so fingers crossed I can start meeting that criteria Um, but it's happened to a few friends of mine where they have had pumps taken away from them once they've started really noticing a difference on the pump Mm. um, and then had to go back to injections and then it's just declined again and I've had to reapply and show that without a pump they can't manage as well as they do with a pump
0: it's really tough yeah and i think the other criteria is if you have really severe hypoglycemia events as well so really low blood sugar and again like i you know we work with people who we may you know try and purposefully for a short period of time raise their blood glucose level so they're eligible to get a pump which seems crazy but of course we're not going to do the alternative and make them have really severe hypos to get a pump either so it's really hard and for those managing their diabetes so well like they they just can't handle the thought of you know making their blood sugars go up for three or four months to try and meet that criteria yeah
1: it makes it really difficult especially if and you know how beneficial it can be and you really want one um to then have to try and get your head around purposely making yourself go high and doing it that way I'm mm. very like or not overly lucky but my my hp c has been getting increasingly high the last couple of months so I'm
0: hoping that will show that I can meet the criteria yeah and in New Zealand, there's two main pumps for those listening. There's the Medtronic and there's a Tandem, um, both with pros and cons. For those who are familiar with the pumps, what do you think your choice would be?
1: Oh, I'm not quite sure. I feel like I might go the Medtronic way um, and trial that one. But I'm so new to the pump world that I'm not too sure which one I'm going to prefer. And I kind of just want to have a play around with all of them and see which one I prefer myself
0: yeah yeah it's very individual so yeah cool oh that's exciting for you that's really cool um with the health considerations with um managing diabetes what's been some of your biggest struggles along the way
1: One of the major struggles is stress, so stress obviously causes our blood sugar levels to rise and stay risen while we stay stressed, Um, and so that's a really hard one because no matter how much insulin you take, if you're still stressed, they're still going to stay high and you take more and more insulin. And then once the stress is gone, you can really crash because you've got all of that insulin on board, just kind of floating around. So dealing with stress and managing stress is probably one of the hardest things that I have to try and mentally figure out. Um, I'm very lucky that I got diagnosed at 24 because I don't go to the club and get wild and drink till (laughs) 3am in the morning. Um, but drinking alcohol is another one that's really hard to manage um our livers process alcohol before they want to process anything else so injecting while you drink your blood sugar still say high the insulin hasn't gone through you could check two hours later blood sugar still high so you inject more insulin and then you come 2am in the morning once your liver can process the insulin again you could have a massive crash, a massive low at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. So alcohol is another one that is very hard to manage as well. And I think the other one is foods that are high fat, high carb, just because the fat really slows down how much that carb is going to get absorbed in the body. So things like pizza... You could have two or three slices of pizza and be normal and be in like a normal range. And then all of a sudden, three hours later, you're like in the 20s and your blood sugars are so high because it's finally got into the bloodstream to affect you. So I think those three things are like the main ones that I have to like constantly combat between
0: yes we hear that all the time those tricky meal combinations the classics being like your pizza and your fish and chips and yeah it all looks well initially and then give it a few hours and your levels just skyrocket as those carbs get through your system very tricky
1: yes it gets very hard especially I have pizza every night before I go to journaling so I have to like very mindfully like if I'm teaching journaling class at night I'm like okay don't inject just yet because you don't want to go low, but you also don't want to be super high during class because I can get very hyperactive when my blood sugars are high and you do not want that in like a mindful journaling class.
0: And with what you talk about being, I guess, the biggest um, different factors that can really affect your levels and that are hardest to manage, in a typical day, what are, what's your usual trends like? Do you find certain times of the day you require more insulin or your levels are more variable? Like, what do you personally find? Yeah, so
1: I'm typically a little bit higher in the morning. Um, When I wake up, I get like a blood glucose dump to wake me up, which is a little bit frustrating. So I'm definitely high in the morning. Um, I am high in the afternoons which may be because I've snacked during the day or just generally the stress is starting to come on by the afternoon so generally I'm a bit higher in the afternoon and I only ever really have lows during the evening so I'm kind of a lot higher during the daytime than I am when it comes to evenings Um, and then being a female I have lovely hormone fluctuations so I definitely notice a difference. My blood sugars are lower when I'm menstruating or ovulating. So every two weeks I have to be like very mindful of going low during the evening during those times.
0: Oh, that's really interesting that you've observed that. Yeah, it's
1: really I um, track my periods um, and just decided I'd kind of track my diabetes with my periods at the same time because I was noticing every so often I was going low for a couple of days and wondered, like, why is this happening? Why do I keep going low? Um, And it's every time I'm menstruating or ovulating that my blood sugar's run lower, which is kind of nice because it means I get to have a little bit of extra carb during that time where we want a little bit of extra carb and energy.
0: Yes. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, really interesting to know. And with your cycle health as well, just to jump to that, after your – because did you say around your diagnosis your menstrual cycle had – Um, you'd stopped for a while. So how long after you sort of got back to health and managed your diabetes, did your cycle return? It probably
1: took about six to eight months after my diagnosis to come back to normal. Um, During that time, I was really irregular and kind of all over the place. I had lots of bacterial vaginosis going on. So there was a lot of blood sugar things in everything else going on over there. Once the insulin started to work on my body and my body could realize that there is insulin going on my body and became used to that, um, my period started to become regular again. And I haven't had bacterial vaginosis since then, which I'm very happy about. Um, but yeah, it was probably around that six to eight month
0: mark. Mm. And since then, have they remained pretty regular?
1: yeah they're pretty regular I'm on the marina so that um they're a little bit less because they do get pretty heavy when I'm not on it um but they're pretty regular every month awesome good four or five days so it's yeah. very nice now
0: yeah always a nice reflection that your body's healthy
1: yeah <laughs> yes exactly exactly which I don't really mind the lows happening then because I'm like okay cool like everything's working properly yeah
0: yeah great and with your day-to-day life and activities do you take part in any regular exercise
1: yes so i have a puppy she's just gone one and a half she's just snoozing right her head oh. next to me um i know so me and her go for a walk every morning um and i used to go to the gym hard out don't overly like the gym and realized at one point that I actually don't enjoy the gym so I quit that but I also noticed that very high intensive exercise was causing my blood sugars to be high afterwards and since I quit that I have started yoga and pilates and my blood sugars stay really stable while I do those kind of low to moderate
0: exercise and I love it and it's
1: such a beautiful way to work out and I gotta throw about my blood sugar, so it's a win
0: win. Such nice gentle movement and so good for the mind as well. With the exercise like your cardio with walking, how do you manage that and do you find it pulls you down a little bit with your blood sugar or?
1: Definitely pulls me down. So if I do it a very stressful day at work and my bloods are high and insulin is just not working, um, I can go for a walk and know that a good like 30 minute to 45 minute walk will just gradually bring me down to a good place. Um, I definitely can't run, because that then causes stress in my body, which then causes me to go high, so it kind of, not really the point of it, but um, a good 30 to 45 minute walk can really bring me back down to like a really good place. I also, if I'm already in a normal range, it doesn't push me low or high, so that's also really good and probably why I lean more towards walking now than any kind of other exercise.
0: Nice. What what level would you generally feel safe heading out for a walk at for your blood sugar?
1: Nothing lower than five. Yep. Um, But, yeah, generally between, like, five and eight, I feel good and, no, I don't have to, like, eat anything beforehand.
0: And with that high-intensity exercise, it's something I talk about with a lot of people too because they find – Often, that's very true for them as well. You know, whether it's the circuit classes or F45, they may not even have anything to eat beforehand. And they'll go and do their class and their blood sugars skyrocket up, you know, into the 20s. And then they come back and eat. And it's very hard for them to manage because usually after high-intensity exercise with the release of stress hormones in the body that that kind of exercise um, leads to, it pushes up your blood glucose levels as well. But naturally, they do tend to fall again once the exercise ceases but it can be very hard for some people because obviously they want to correct and take more with food after etc how can you when you were doing that type of exercise how did you manage that because it's such a tricky one
1: so it was so so difficult um it was more of a mind game than like physically what was happening with my body because I knew that they were high because of the exercise that I was doing and not to inject But then to see that number and not inject was such like a mind game to be like, it's okay, give it half an hour, check again then, see how you're feeling. If it is still high, inject half of what you normally would, check again in another half an hour, then see how it goes. So I would Mm -hmm. kind of take it that way. But it was so difficult to not just inject straight away and be like, cool, done, and then crash. So I would definitely always wait, half an hour, check, take just a small amount just to kind of play with it a wee bit and hopefully that'll bring me back down to a normal level and then wait another half hour and then see how it would go.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. And with anyone else listening, like we might have some type ones listening to this podcast, I'm sure we will, what would be your advice to anyone out there who might have been newly diagnosed or is really struggling at the moment with just feeling a bit fed up with everything
1: yeah uh just listen to your body and give yourself some kindness and compassion it is such a hard thing and diagnosis to get around and when you are in that burnout phase it can be really really difficult um but just giving yourself a lot of compassion that you can get through it and it is going to be okay and we will figure it out in the end. And if your bloods are high for a wee bit, it's not the end of the world. They'll come back down. And if need be, there are some incredible diabetic nurses out there and services that are available that are really, really great to help when you are in that like bad
0: burnout phase. Mm-hmm. And. Something I would say too is um a lot of people I see they you know, they're part of these Facebook groups and communities with about diabetes and people share, you know, their perfect levels and how they're all going and then these people are sitting there who might not have as good control looking at other people's perfect numbers and, you know, they're feeling pretty rubbish about themselves so i always think it's good to say to people you know when you're looking at anything online whether it's you know body image or managing diabetes or anything you know is this harmful or helpful and generally if it's something like that sort of comparison thing it's pretty harmful so um probably best to unfollow or you know maybe take a break from groups like that or anything for a while
1: yeah absolutely those groups are great and there's some great advice I've learned from there but there are definitely a lot of people that like to post their perfect numbers all the time and if you're not in that space to be able to listen and hear that then creating those boundaries and taking yourself away is the best thing you can do
0: definitely and with your experience in the healthcare system unfortunately not being the best initially I wish we could have changed that for you for other health professionals out there who might be listening from your experience what would be some tips for them to actually make other people's new diagnosis journey better i think just
1: talking and being able to understand which is probably hard if you don't have diabetes to understand what it's like but i would have loved for the nurse to spend a little bit more than five minutes with me and actually just sit down and explain how it's going to look long-term. Like, yes, the carb counting is important, and yes, it's good to know how to inject properly, but I probably would have been able to combat that a lot more if someone had just sat down and be like, long-term, like, this is going to be okay, you're going to be okay, you're not going to lose a foot straight away. and just really help explain what it's going to look like and how it's going to affect day-to-day life because I thought it was just going to be super normal and I was just going to be able to do my life like normal and just inject and it will be no different. But it's so different and just being able to explain it to someone and allow them to accept that would be so beneficial.
0: Mm. That's great advice and, and even with like the management of that um, from what you just said I was thinking you know day to day it, it I think it's very easy for people with type 1 to start to feel really frustrated because every day seems to be so different and you could have you could live exactly the same day eat the same food have the same level of stress all that all those other factors that you know come into blood glucose management and your blood glucose levels could still be completely different.
1: <laughs> yes every time it's so frustrating
0: trying to be like why am I high today I did the exact same thing yesterday mm. and with that stress side of things as well I can imagine that's so tricky because even just dealing with stress you know you can't just tell yourself oh just switch off the stress switch you know it's such a hard thing to manage at times and even if you're telling yourself you're not stressed your body probably knows you are and your levels are reflecting that as well
1: this would be very nice there was a switch just to be like, off you go.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm just very conscious of taking too much more of your wonderful time with all your advice, but is there anything else you would like to discuss in terms of type 1 diabetes or any tips for anyone out there?
1: Just not let it absolutely consume and define who you are. I think that was a big part of I... Wanted to be this perfect diabetic, and I would introduce myself as a diabetic and I would tell everyone that I had type 1 diabetes, and it became who I was. Um, And a psychologist I saw at the very start told me not to do that, and I was like, You know, whatever, you don't know what you're talking about, (laughs) I'm going to, and I created like a diabetic blog and an instagram and i wanted to be this like like the diabetes was who i was um and being able to let go of that and realize i am me and diabetes is just a very small part of that has made a huge difference on myself how i see myself and how i live my life with diabetes and how i manage my diabetes so diabetes does not define who you
0: are part of your life but not doesn't define you yes that's a great way to put it exactly amazing um right is there anything else you would like to talk about in terms of the work you do like we haven't had much time to talk about it so maybe we'll have to come back and do another podcast but you obviously work with people you know in terms of the intuitive eating and um the non-diet approach so if people want to get in touch with you about that where can they find you
1: yeah so they can find me on instagram i'm on there constantly i'm a bit of a gram addict um and i am at findbalance.nz on instagram where i just do a lot of education around non-diet and intuitive eating so if you want to learn more and just start delving into that That's a great uh, place to start. And if you want to do some journaling and get into journaling and that kind of thing, um, you can find my journaling page at afi underscore nz as
0: well. Lovely. Thank you so much. I'm sure you'll have a few people contacting you and reaching out whether they're um, wanting to do more with intuitive eating or have type 1 diabetes themselves. So thank you so much for your time. I'm very grateful and it's been so great to chat with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for
0: your first guest. This has been so much fun. Yes, so special. I'm not at all a techno expert, so I'm you know doing a podcast is actually quite terrifying, and I'm naturally quite introverted, so this is definitely out of my comfort zone. But I think it's good to do things out of your comfort zone. <laughs> yes, it definitely is, and it's been
1: so fun. So I'll definitely listen along
0: and come anytime you want me. <laughs> Lovely. Thanks so much, Samantha. You have a great day, and we'll talk soon. Mm.
1: You say thank you.